0: Hey friends, delighted to have you along. Today I am chatting with somebody who, if you're from Minnesota, I bet you know who she is. And if you're not, soon you will. She is a legend in public radio. Her name is Kathy Wurzer, and she has been covering politics as a broadcast journalist for Minnesota Public Radio for decades. And she has an absolutely unique perspective, both on politics in the United States, but also on the role of public media in America. So let's dive in. I'm Sharon McMahon, and welcome to the Sharon Says So podcast. Kathy, I'm so excited to chat with you today. Thank you for making time to do this. I know this has been a busy 20 years for you covering politics. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, If you are not a Minnesotan, if you're not listening for a Minnesota, Kathy, tell everybody what you do.
1: I am a broadcast journalist with Minnesota Public Radio News, and I co-host a long-running public affairs show on Twin Cities PBS, seen on the stations of Minnesota Public Television. And I'm also the uh, founder of a nonprofit called End in
0: Mind Project. Mm. Mm. And what does that do? What does end What does End in Mind do?
1: It, well, don't let the name freak you out. I talk about death and dying. Mm. Actually, I know. Really, that's I'm interesting. A big- I'm in in only a Minnesota way, you would say that too. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. You should see people back away from me at at cocktail parties when I say that. It is a nonprofit that just, we prepare people for the inevitable serious illness, disability, living with loss and grief, and how to live with death and dying. And and people don't talk about these things. No one gives you a roadmap. So we just, we are are kind of conversation starters at any point. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. What made you interested in doing that? You know, it was a long running project at NPR News, probably about what, six or seven years at this point with a man who was um, an amazing human. His name was Bruce Kramer, and he was the uh, dean of the College of Education at the University of St. Thomas. And he Mm -hmm. had ALS, Lou Gehrig's
0: Mm -hmm. disease, which is a
1: terrible, horrible disease that just affects all the muscles in the body from walking, to talking, to breathing, to eating, everything, you know? And I met Bruce through a coworker who said, you know, you should talk to this guy because he's mm-hmm. blogging so eloquently about his life with ALS. Mm. But you know what, not not to sound crass, but I thought, look, thousands and thousands of people are diagnosed with some terrible illness every single day. What? How is this guy any different? And I held it off and held it off and held it off. Finally, I acquiesced and just caved and had Bruce in studio. I was going to do a, a one and done, uh, which is just, as you know, in the business, you just you, you get him in once, it's you're done, you won't ever you'll never see him again. However, Bruce was incredibly eloquent. It was a two-hour interview. And I thought, hmm, wow, there's something here. Because Bruce just didn't focus on the illness. Mm-hmm. It was a, a philosophical look at your life. Mm-hmm. Just living with something that is going to kill you somewhere along the line. And it was, it was, it's turned into an amazing series of conversations over five years with the man until he died. Mm. And so upon his death, he asked me to look for the ripples in our work together. Mm. And I thought, I have no idea what that is. After all this time on the radio, we wrote a book together for the university of Minnesota press. I didn't know what the heck it could be. Well, it turned out to be this nonprofit. So, mm-hmm. I did the work and same. That's how it all started. Mm-hmm. I love that.
2: Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring.
0: Okay, here's one of the first things I would love to know is what attracted you to broadcast journalism? What about it was when you got started all those years ago, were you like, oh, the siren song of broadcast journalism is calling my name?
1: (laughs) Actually, I never anticipated being a broadcast journalist. I wanted to be a newspaper reporter. And it was in college where I, on a dare, went up to the college radio station to write the news, because uh, back in the day, you were not allowed to write for the college newspaper until you were a junior. And I was a freshman drinking way too much beer. And I thought <laughs> I would do something with my time beyond what I'm doing. And uh, my roommate said, well, you know, at the radio station, they have news, you should go up there and maybe write the news for them. So mm-hmm. I did. And I remember the news director laughed at me. And she said, Oh, we don't write the news here we rip and read and she pointed to this thing that was in the corner it was it was an an old Associated Press teletype machine it was clacking and making those cool sounds and dinging. and uh, she said just go over there and rip off the news copy and then go in that little room and read it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I'm like okay you know like an idiot so I did and it was really horrible and um UW River Falls and I I Butchered every Wisconsin place name that was in front of me. And mm-hmm. it was horrible, horrible, horrible. And there are no tapes, thankfully. And uh, <laughs> I got done, and she said, That was fantastic. You've got to come back. <laughs> and I think I was just a warm body, to be honest with you, Sharon. Mm-hmm. I was a warm body at the time. But I went back, and I really loved it. There was something about the communication, the connection with listeners. Mm-hmm. And I ended up doing the news for a late night rock show that we had on the air at the time. So you can imagine, you know, head banging music, and then here's it doing <laughs> and he <was> casted, <laughs> and a newscast. But again, that morphed into a bunch of different things. And I can't describe it very well, even to this day. I don't know why, but there is a distinct, again, connection, relationship is very intimate with your listeners. And mm-hmm. there's something about I know darn well that there's a lot of people listening, but I always try to just think of the one person who's listening that I'm connecting with, Mm -hmm. and there's there's great joy in that, Mm -hmm. and it is just something that has become a part of my life all these years. It's been almost what thirty years, I guess now. So, Mm. yeah, there's just something that just is very it was a very attractive move to make from newspapers to Mm -hmm. to break, but radio, radio specifically. Of course, I've done television, but I prefer radio.
0: Mm-hmm. I was gonna ask why radio.
1: I prefer to be really heard and not there is just that that one-on-one connection with a listener that I really loved. And and I and I remember as a kid, maybe some of your listeners might remember this too. This is really back in the day. CBS Radio had radio mystery theater, which I just completely dated myself by saying this, but it it aired on the CBS Radio Network and it was old-fashioned radio drama. Mm -hmm. And I used to listen as a kid, which really makes me sound old, but it was so amazing to listen to that. E.G. Marshall did the opening intro and he had this great voice anyway, and it was just captivating. And Mm -hmm. it was, again, this thing that just reached out and just grabbed me by the ears. And that's why radio still does that to this day for people, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I feel like the soul, your soul is in your voice.
0: Mm.
1: and you can hear an individual soul in their voice. There's just something about that. It's a, it's a real soul level that you can mm. get to.
0: That's I, really interesting. I wonder if that is one reason why podcasts have grown in popularity so significantly. So there's just something about listening to it does something a little bit different in your brain. Than... It
1: totally is like that. Mm-hmm. It makes you, you just, it's not well, it's, well, good podcasts good audio is not wallpaper, right? There's audio mm-hmm. wallpaper that you don't want to get yourself into. Mm-hmm. But if you have, there's something in your voice, if, and if you are interested in your subject matter, mm-hmm. the listener will be too, right? Mm-hmm. There's, and there's just, it's a very visceral connection, I think.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I've done TV for a long time too. I've done commercial TV and, and public television. And people just get hung up on the earrings. Oh, her earrings, mm-hmm. are just like Oh my God. I can't stand the color of her hair. Look at that. I mean, it just, no matter, you could have the cure for cancer and people will still get hung up on how you look.
0: Yes. Radio. Not that way. Thank God. <laughs> it's so true that no matter what you do, somebody is going to comment on your appearance. What about public radio? Do you love? Oh, uh, the mission.
1: You know, and I've done both. I've done commercial and public television, obviously, and commercial and public radio. And it's the mission part of it that I really, I really can get behind. And I, and I was so excited. I remember I was at KSTP AM radio and TV, for that matter, at one point in my career, and then made the leap to uh, NPR. And I was so excited because it was, it was like the place to do journalism, right? Broadcast mm-hmm. journalism, radio specifically. And it was a place where you could stretch your wings. You had time to actually tell a story mm-hmm. that's serious work, you know sometimes we get ourselves a little too serious. you know we we get a lot of Brussels sprouts and broccoli. We should probably <laughs> light up a little bit, but it is the place to do solid work and and as a journalist, it's my home. and mm-hmm. i've and I've left a couple of times. I've come back a couple of times just because of that.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. If somebody is not currently a public radio listener, whether that's Minnesota public radio, national public radio, their own state's version of public radio, what sets public radio apart from commercial radio? Obviously public radio isn't just like playing top 40 hits and having drive time banter in the way that commercial radio stations might. So that's a a given. But from the inside, from somebody who has worked in both, what is that soul of public radio that you're referring to, and why should somebody listen to it?
1: I think it's a reflection of your community. So, if you want to know what's going on in your community, in your state, in your country, I think it's a great source of news and other perspectives. If you want to know about something beyond just headlines, public radio is for you. It really is. And quirky. I mean, definitely there's some quirkiness. quirkiness. Yeah, exactly. But that's the beauty of it, right? Mm-hmm. We don't have to worry. I mean, yes, is my show number has been number one in the market before? Sure. Is that great? Yeah. But we don't live and die by the ratings either. You know, mm-hmm. it's truly community community radio mm-hmm. and a lot of around the country, which I I so love.
0: Mm. What would you say to somebody who feels like we should not be spending taxpayer money on things like public broadcasting, PBS, NPR, NPR like we should not be spending taxpayer money on those things when the free market, free market capitalism can provide us with the news that we need. What would you say good, to that?
1: Good question. People always bring that up and actually you know what, your a minuscule amount of taxpayer money is spent on PBS and NPR, really. NPR and other stations too. I mean we we directly go to listeners who support us to ask for donations, right? Mm-hmm. So but taxpayer money not a lot is spent. And really, you know, in Europe a lot more is spent on public broadcasting in different European systems. So I think it we are a public service that should be funded to a bit of public funds should be sent our way, I think, because we are a public service. What do mm-hmm. you think?
0: Well, So in terms of like the tax, tax money issue, I look at it a little bit like this is, you know, Americans are actually very familiar with the public private options that occur throughout society. We have private universities and public universities. The public universities perhaps have a slightly different mission than private universities do. We have hospitals that are private We also offer some types of public health care in the United States. And so that public option serves a different purpose. And it it absolutely does things that commercial broadcasting won't do because the profit motive is not significant enough, right? Right. Um, And so sometimes things that the private market won't do are things that are actually needed and necessary in society right? There is more to living a rich, a rich communal life than profit. Agreed. Yes. Agreed. Right. Some things are not profitable, but still really worth doing. Right. I mean,
1: back to Sesame Street, when that first began on on PBS, that was the mission, right? Mm -hmm. To have quality programming for children. It's obviously proven to be incredibly successful yeah Mm -hmm. but I finally got to meet Mr. Rogers as an adult I almost cried I mean I'm not much of a fangirl but when he came to Twin Cities PBS he was doing something for us and I was just tongue-tied
0: I just it was Mr. Rogers right (laughs) I I would have felt that way too oh my
1: gosh I'm sure for the producers was just joyful absolutely I remember I asked him, so, you know, what kept you going all these years? And he said it was just the sheer joy
0: Mm. of
1: getting work on behalf of kids.
0: Mm -hmm. What a guy. Mm -hmm. We have all had embarrassing moments where something didn't smell quite right. And if you have any children or people in your lives who have stinky toes, stinky feet, and those stinky shoes pile up, by the door of your house. And then when people come over, they're like, um, your house smells weird. There's a solution for that. And it is not necessarily spraying down your house with disinfectant. It is taking care of the smell at the source by using Lumi on places like the people in your house's stinky feet. It is a whole body deodorant. It is safe to use anywhere on your body. It was created by a doctor who saw firsthand how stinky feet and other body parts are often misdiagnosed as problems when in reality, you could just use a product like Lumi and it would take care of the issue. It has been clinically proven to block odor all day and control odor for up to 72 hours. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, a cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like mini body wash and deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code SHARON at LumiDeodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit LumiDeodorant.com and use code SHARON. betterhelp.com slash Sharon today to get 10% off your first month. That's p.com slash Sharon. We hear from a lot of interesting people on this podcast. And I know that I am always hungry for more. And what if you could learn from the world's best, all in one place? Guess what, you can masterclass on your phone, your computer, your smart TV, even in audio modes, you can listen to it like a podcast. I know that when I watch Doris Kearns Goodwin, that first of all, I'm going to be getting fantastic information, that the production level is going to be incredible. And then I'm going to walk away feeling smarter and more informed than I was before. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Sharon. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Sharon. Masterclass.com slash Sharon. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about is how you got into covering politics. And I would love to hear more about how covering politics as a journalist has changed since you began to now. Sharon.
1: (laughs) there's like a theme in my career. Everything's by accident or (laughs) kind of by accident. I I backed into the politics, but I also is underscoring a lot of my career is that I I do tend to leap at things and take risks and chances. Mm -hmm. So I have no, I initially started with a political science major. I was a double major of journalism, and political science, and I dropped the political science, which was pretty silly if you think about it, but And because I really do like politics, but I dropped that as a major and did something completely different in college. And then what did did I do? I went into political reporting and I did (laughs) literally my boss at KSTP AM radio came through the newsroom one day and said, who here knows anything about politics? And, And I, I heard that I thought, well, you really don't. So just shut up. He said, but okay. All right. So no one was answering, no one put their hand up. And he said, who wants to go to the Capitol? to cover session and I went for no apparent reason because I thought god almighty I have no background I shouldn't I shouldn't have said I would do this but maybe I'll learn and it was like being thrown to the wolves but it was so much fun I Mm -hmm. loved I loved it, loved it, loved it. It was the most fun I've had in my career. And I it was on-the-job training, for sure, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not to be dangerous. So, you know, I know how, how a bill becomes law, that kind of thing. And know, the, obviously, the functioning of state government. And there weren't many people of who looked like me in the newsroom, like in, mm-hmm. in that room downstairs in the basement of the Capitol, of, of Minnesota State Capitol in St. Paul. So there were just a few women. It was all male. And it was kind of a tough environment. But it was collegial, you know, it was super cutthroat <laughs> and everyone was really competitive, but it was a joy. I really loved it. I loved the game of politics. I love the circus, but I would never want to be in the circus, you know, mm-hmm. and boy, it has changed a lot, obviously, at this time. I mean, it's not even recognizable. The rhetoric is is sharp. It, I mean, there there's sharp elbows in politics and you know that. But, you know, it's just so
0: polarized. This is, I want to change gears because I have a funny funny question I want to ask you. I taught for a lot of years in uh, Washington, D.C. or the suburbs of Washington, D.C. And I never stopped talking about Miss Minnesota or being from Minnesota. People would call me Miss Minnesota. I've always been a proud Minnesotan. Anyway, Minnesota, as you know, has the best and has for decades the best voter turnout of any state. Yes. And on paper, we shouldn't, we're not the wealthiest. We're not the best educated. We don't have any of the demographic requirements for statistical probability of what makes somebody, you know, a good at voting. All, what we do have is our culture of voting, that it's just what everybody does. Right. So anyway, one, one year I was chatting with my students. This is in Maryland. And I asked, why does Maryland have only 50% of eligible voters voting, and Minnesota has 80% of eligible voters voting. And of course, they don't know the answer really. I'm just asking them to hypothesize. And the answer is multifaceted. But they sat and thought about it for a few minutes, and then one boy finally raised his hand, he was like, there's nothing else to do there? All we have to do is dog sled to the polls. And just, well, it's the one thing a year, like, like it's an Antarctic research station. And we just leave one time a year to go vote. Like, Ooh, it's our night out. Going to go vote. When I filled them in that like, actually Minnesota has all the professional sports teams, all of them at like the mall of America. That's where target started people. Yeah. They they were truly shocked, <laughs> shocked that it wasn't 40 people living in a metal building. Like they were picturing Antarctica. So Minnesota is such a unique place. Politically, so unique. You know, like when Jesse Ventura was the governor, if you're not familiar, Jesse Ventura was a professional wrestler who became the governor of Minnesota. He ran as a third party politician and he won. And he was so much fun to cover. I will say that. So much color. He was giving you something new to report every day. He was saying stuff off the wall where you're like, what? The other people who were running against him were much more career politicians, etc. So he was in office. Simultaneously, we have one of the most liberal senators, Paul Wellstone, Rod Crams, one of the most extremely conservative senators, all at the same time in one state. It was so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yes. What makes Minnesotans like that? What makes Minnesota unique politically? In My your mind. Oh my gosh.
1: We, 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 well the Jesse Ventura's of the world are of course interesting. They're they're enticing to Minnesotans because he was one of us and he kind of spoke our language, you know. He was an every every guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he of course drove his professional counterparts up a wall in debates. I mean, I watched it. I was part oh. of the debate, many of them. And because he would say, I don't know. I don't know. I guess we'll figure that out, you know. And his <laughs> his, his professional counterparts would say, you know they would offer political statements and policy statements and that kind of thing but people kind of ate that up because he was he was different we love different in the state mm-hmm. of Minnesota mm-hmm. so we'll split our tickets all the way you know six ways to sundown but I think again we're civic-minded bunch mm-hmm. of people though too you know mm-hmm. we're we we care about who is leading us and I think that we actually are, when it comes to our electorate, we're we're pretty educated. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. we're pretty savvy,
0: really. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I can't tell you how many people, when we do our political debates on Almanac, because we're known for those, those are huge ratings that we get yeah. for, our, and we've done this now for, what is it now? 36, 37 years. Uh, we're the longest running show of our kind in the country. And there's a reason for that. So our, our debates are really well watched and people want to know, like, yeah. so who are you? What do you stand for? It's, it's just part of our DNA. I think how mm-hmm. this about how it has happened. There's a number of different reasons, probably. <laughs> and also, you know, in our classes, I mean, and you know, this too, being a person who taught civics, gosh, I remember in high, junior high and high school, you know, you talked about voting, and the mm-hmm. importance of it. And how do you vote? And it was part of the curriculum. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I suppose, I bet you probably talked about the tier classes, didn't you?
0: Oh, of course, here's how you vote. Here's what a ballot looks like. But I remember when I was in college, there was an organization called Kids Voting. Do you remember this organization? It was a nonprofit, it relied mostly on college students to volunteer. And the idea was a, a child who sees their parents vote two or three times growing up will statistically become a voter. And so the idea was like, bring your kids to the polls. And they had like a little kid's station set up with like little ballots that you could just color on with your markers. And then you got some stickers and it was extremely nonpartisan. It was really just like an activity station for preschool and elementary age children so that their parents would feel comfortable bringing them to the polls. Even just little organizations like that, like, yeah, we have an activity station at the polls, I think has bred a generation of Minnesotans that are like, know what it means to vote. And, and of course, <laughs> and
1: we we constantly in, in the media, what are we doing? We're constantly saying, go vote, go vote, go vote, go vote. I mean, you know, uh, uh, the election day, I can't tell you how many times I say that on the air open at eight, go, 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 you know?
0: Yes. We also have same day voter registration, which I absolutely, I know statistically that makes a huge difference in terms of voter turnout. If you get a bee in your bonnet on election day, you can show up and register and vote. In fact, last election day, I was doing a radio segment on a commercial station in the Twin Cities and I got a Instagram message shortly after it was done with somebody who was in the military who had just left Minnesota and had gotten stationed in Georgia. And they were like, how do I figure out what, how to vote here in Georgia? And I'm like, oh, friend, you can't. You, you needed to have your registration in three weeks ago. And they were shocked and appalled that the state would be like, sorry, you can't vote. He's like, I am in the military. Mm. And you're telling me that I cannot vote in your state. Uh, you know, he'd already changed his address, et cetera. He couldn't vote in Minnesota again. He was truly yeah. like very upset and dismayed that that other states would not have the same ability, the same ease of voting as the state he came from. Interesting, isn't it? Listen, I know if you pick up any kind of beauty magazine or you follow an influencer, there's like a new skincare product every single day of the week, and it can be really difficult to know which ones to even try, like which one is worth your money. And if you're tired of cycling through ineffective skincare trends and overcomplicated routines, you might be excited to know that one of today's sponsors is OneSkin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy. No complicated routines, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. The secret is OneSkin's proprietary OS1 peptide. It's the first ingredient proven to switch off the aging cells that cause lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. I especially like the eye cream. It's not too thick where you feel like it's going to clog all your pores, but it goes on really, really nicely under makeup. For a limited time, you'll get an exclusive 15% off your first OneSkin purchase using the code SHARON when you check out at oneskin.co. That's O-N-E-S-K-I-N dot C-O. Try OneSkin and enjoy younger, healthier skin without all the extra steps. That's oneskin.co, code SHARON. Uh, public media, what would you, what do you wish they would, they could know? Mm. Oh,
1: such a good question. There's a stereotype, right? Of public media. It, I think back to that old Saturday Night Live skit, which is kind of spot on when it comes to public <laughs> women. Yeah. Women. Um, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. they do like a cooking segment. Yes. And they yes. have it's just hysterical with their voices, their well-modulated voices. And some of that is true. But, and I think people, we get that left-leaning moniker because of, you know, we we cover what's out in the world and you might not like what you hear, right? That we are not, this isn't some sort of a, you know, we don't sit back in the newsroom and say, oh, well, we're definitely going to go ahead and sled this story left. You know, that's mm. just not happen. And I wish people would understand that you know, Mm -hmm. that there isn't some plot, um, Mm -hmm. that we're not a microphone of the left. And if you're on the right, you think that, you know, and I thought about this a lot, do we need to do a better job? You know, we try to get, you try to get as many voices out there as you can, right? And I just think that, I think that's the one thing I want to leave with people is that it's not some sort of a plot that we, that we deliberately attempt to slant the news to a certain, either way. Right. And you might not like what you hear, you know, I mean, with our electorate, just just and how we have our media is so fragmented, is that you mm-hmm. can go to any organization, any station that reflects your thinking, and you're going to just be in your own echo chamber, That's you know, right. and I think yes. that when public radio might go, oh, blah, I can't stand that. That is just what are they talking about this for? And that you might get really and if you get really mad, I think that's okay, really, to be honest with you. I think that if if people on both sides are mad at us, I think I'm doing a pretty good job.
0: <laughs> that's how I feel too. If I'm getting messages from people telling me that I am not left-leaning enough, if I'm not, if I'm being too nice to those politicians or, and then also, also messages being like, well, you're not nice enough to Donald Trump. I'm winning. I have won. <laughs> if you both hate me, both great. Sides. <laughs> I can't even imagine who would hate you. That's the thing. Oh, you'd be I, surprised, Kim. Oh, I
1: trust <laughs> to understand this.
0: It's so true, though, that facts don't require our approval for them to mm. be facts. Right. And it's like exactly like what you were saying with such a highly fragmented media that we have now been trained that if we if we don't agree with everything we're hearing on the news, well, that means that they are leftist
1: mm-hmm.
0: or they're, oh my gosh, you guys are crazy right wingers. If we don't agree with everything being said, that means it's not true. That's right. That's kind of where a lot of Americans have landed. And the, the criteria for something being true is not, do you agree with it? right <laughs> that's one that's of the things i try to hammer home all the time that's not the criteria <laughs> the facts are often inconvenient i know i mean what do you think of this i mean we were talking about this in the
1: newsroom the other day we were talking you probably have heard about this too truth sandwiches
0: mm-hmm.
1: right for that concept of truth sandwiches mm-hmm. you know sandwich in truth lie truth you know do more of that reporting but also just being really transparent about what we do and how we do it mm-hmm. I saw There's like a a shroud of secrecy over a lot of what we do, Yeah, Yeah. you know, because you're cranking this stuff out. I mean, every half hour on the top and bottom of the hour, you're just going, 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 you know, and it's even worse. Oh my Lord. It's even worse on a national scale, you know, like CNN, SNBC or Fox. You're just, you're just, it's like, you're a mouse on a treadmill. Mm -hmm. So gosh, it would be nice. We, we, we need to do a better job explaining what we do and why we do it
0: Mm -hmm. and how we do how you do it. Mm-hmm. Here is yeah. how we arrived. And you don't have time on air to do these things, but those are things that you could put on the website. Yeah. You know, like here is how we arrived at the conclusion that uh, you know of X, Y, and Z. That the X, Y, and Z is actually what occurred. Here's how we arrived at that. Here are the transcripts. Here is here are the court documents. But again, I understand there's a significant amount of effort and work that goes into all of that. It's people grossly underestimate how much work that is. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work.
1: Like shovel. <laughs> yes,
0: so, yes. Well, Kathy, you are a gem. You are a a gift to Minnesotans and a gift to public radio. And I'm so grateful for your time. And please, please, never uh, stop doing what you're doing. Oh,
1: there'll be a point where I have to retire someday.
0: but no, I'll just keep going. That's not true. That is, <laughs> that, is, that, is that is false. I where I don't like your facts. I don't agree with your facts, and so consequently, that's not a fact. <laughs>
1: It really is truly an honor. It is. It is an honor. And I'll tell you, I say that to, to younger journalism students that you are is a privilege to do what you don't need a license. We probably should. You don't need a license to do what we're doing. It's an honor and it's a privilege, and you should never forget it. And it's not about you. It's mm-hmm. not about you. It's about the mm-hmm. people that are listening to you, watching you, reading you. And it's the person, that, the people that you're interviewing. It's about mm-hmm. them. So it's an honor. I'm glad I'm still doing it.
0: Yes. Well, I think that's what sets you apart from many media personalities. There are a lot of people on cable news who are not truly journalists, don't even pretend to be journalists. They're media personalities and they prioritize celebrity over integrity. Yeah. And it's always about how can I be on the name on everybody's lips, even if it is, even if they're compromising their integrity to do it. And so that's one of the reasons I admire what you do, that you care more about the audience you're serving, than you care about producing celebrity for yourself.
1: Yeah, not into it. I'm just, yeah, no, I I've had that opportunity a long, long time ago and no, no, didn't want to go in that direction. I just want to be a journalist. Mm. Yeah, that's me.
0: Well, keep up the good work, my friend. Thank you for doing this. Oh, you're so kind, and I'm really proud of you
1: too for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Really, thanks. I mean, I think it's really needed, and the fact that you are such, you're such a measured voice that people can trust,
0: mm-hmm. and you
1: know, you're not a journalist, Mm-mm. you're a teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, is mm-hmm. really important. So thank you for what mm-hmm. you're doing. To me.
0: Thank you, Kathy. Yeah. Oh, let's do this again. This podcast was written and researched by Sharon McMahon and Heather Jackson. It was produced by Heather Jackson, edited and mixed by our audio producer, Jenny Snyder, and hosted by me, Sharon McMahon. I'll see you next time.